You don't need a study to tell you that aging and fatigue go hand in hand. Nevertheless, my friends at Nutritional Therapeutics, makers of NT Factor, point to 16 studies, all peer-reviewed and published in medical journals, showing that NT Factor can reduce fatigue, while at the same time, age-related changes in the cells are reversed. For 30 years, the makers of NT Factor have worked to improve our health spans by focusing on the mitochondria, the energy powerhouses of our cells. Their science shows that NT Factor, which I don't go a day without and recommend to my patients, improves our energy and prevents the deterioration that accompanies aging. It promises that our day-to-day lives will be improved, and they keep proving it in studies that include placebo-controlled trials, both in the academic institutions and in medical practices like mine. You can find NT Factor at your favorite health food store or online retailer, or to order direct, go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Don't let tiredness and fatigue rob your senior years. Invest regularly in the anti-aging benefit of NT Factor at ntfactor.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Today we're talking to the author of The Knee and Shoulder Handbook, The Keys to a Pain-Free Active Life. Uh, He's authored of many scientific papers. Uh, He holds patents on orthopedic devices. Uh, Dr. Resnick uh, practices in Connecticut. Uh, Tell us about your practice, Dr. Resnick. I'm I'm an orthopedic surgeon, a quasi-academic practice. I, you know, I trained in New York and Mount Sinai, and then I did a fellowship at Oxford in England. Uh, then I did sports in San Diego, and I went to medical school at Yale, so I decided to come back to Yale to be in private practice and teach at the same time. And it was sort of the perfect timing because um, the department at that time was run mostly by the private practitioners. So I got to teach medical students and residents and PA students for the last 30-odd years. Uh, and in that academic setting of a practice, I also have a private practice, um, and so I've kind of crossed both over both writing papers, researching, inventing things, and taking care of the average person in Connecticut who lives near where the, you know my office is. Um, so, so my practice has really got a lot of mix of um, so the academic field of what I do in the background. I've done some stuff at the Academy of Orthopedic Surgeon, been on a number of committees there, and then at the same time try to apply that practical knowledge to the everyday person who sees me uh, as a patient. Good stuff. So, and uh, we actually, uh, I misspoke when I uh, introduced uh, one of your previous books. I've fallen down and I can get up. Yes. Yeah, the name, but it's I fallen said, down and I, I fall, can't get up. I said I've fallen down and I can't get up, which is like the commercial, uh, which uh, is uh, kind of uh, a pejorative view of, you know, the calamity of falls. And what you want to emphasize is that falls can be prevented. Uh, which I think is an important theme because, you know, we can give people, load them up on osteoporosis drugs. But really what we want to do is make them uh, orthopedically sound uh, and stabilize their balance and, and do fall prevention. That's right. That's right. Fall prevention. So I, I as I said to you earlier, you know, we, I had this dream. I kept seeing that commercial on TV and I said, this is not right. We should be preventing the falls. We should, we should say I've fallen and I can get up or I don't I haven't fallen at all. So I kind of came up with the idea of writing the book, I've fallen and I can get up, uh, meaning that, you know, you really haven't fallen, you really, you've avoided it. And so it's a little primer on all the reasons why people fall and how to avoid falls. Great, great minds think alike, because I just wrote an article uh, to that effect, you know, all the different hindrances that people have, some of them are orthopedic, some of them are visual, some of them are in the brain, balance centers change, uh, even hearing uh, loss is a a bit of a risk factor, uh, lately pointed out. 
as a potential trigger for falls. So uh, there's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, that's how seniors often go to ground. You know, it's the beginning of that uh, long, slippery slide towards uh, disability and ultimately, uh, you know, immobility and death. So, okay, um, let's focus on adult orthopedic problems. And I got a key question for you, which is, as we age, we're more susceptible to aches and pains. So clearly, you know, when you're driving a, you know, 1991 car, you know, it's going to squeak, it's going to rattle, you know, the suspension's not so good. It's the wear and tear on the car. And ultimately, cars have a limited uh, lifespan. But with humans, humans aren't cars. It's not simply biomechanical stress that wears out the joints. There's also this inflammatory or autoimmune thing that's going on that may be, at least in part, uh, the reason that people experience so much in the way of joint problems. So which is it? And, or is it a combination of both? Yeah. I, you know, I have a section on, on water on the knee in the book and uh, talk about why do things, you know, why do you get water on your knee? Cause that's the common term people use. And there's multiple reasons and it ranges from everything from a mechanical problem. Like the, the joint has a tear or the ligaments torn and the knee doesn't work. And your knee says, Oh, there's something wrong. I want to lubricate myself. And you get a secondary response, which creates more liquid, and the lining gets inflamed. It could also be just purely where the surfaces are no longer smooth and the lining gets inflamed. But it can also be an inflammatory arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis or Lyme disease even. So you get that infection and the spirochete gets into your knee, and that causes an inflammatory response. So all those things can cause can cause inflammation. And there's two competing things, right? There's mechanical damage or wear and tear. But the process of inflammatory response is your body saying, oh, I need to clear the evil stuff that's in my knee somehow. How do I do that? I send in white cells. Well, what white cells do? They release toxic chemicals to kill things, right? And your own immune response can actually kill your cartilage cells a little bit and start to digest some of your own cartilage. This is particularly common in gout. And, you know, people don't understand gout so much, but if you think about gout as a crystal disease where crystals are forming in your joint, those crystals are like having sand in your joint. They, they're mm -hmm. an irritant, right? It's just like sand in your eye or pebble in your shoe, right? Yep. And at the same time, the body cannot digest those crystals. They're kind of inert. The body doesn't like them, wants to get rid of them, and the white cells kill themselves trying to kill or absorb crystals they can't. And they release every chemical known to man, and those chemicals cause pain and damage. So gout is not so bad by itself. If the crystals are wearing your knee out, it's the chemical response that your body's own immune system creates that can damage your knee. And that's the same for all the inflammatory diseases, right? They're all a similar model to that one way or another. Something insults the knee, and then the body says, oh, i got to destroy everything in my path. And then it, and it does too much damage, and then you have a problem with arthritis. So... Um, I think that kind of brings us to like why things swell and why things hurt because it's all related to your body's response to either injury or wear. Well, it's just a par sort of an exercise paradox because uh, it's been demonstrated that too much heavy loads, mileage can damage the joints, no question. On the other hand, sedentary lifestyle where you don't mobilize your joints uh, can be deleterious to your joint health. So what is it? Does it require a happy medium? Yeah, absolutely. So the, you have to think about how the body works. And, and the best example that's really easy to understand 
if you go in the spaceship and you go in the space station, you ever see the TV pictures where they're running on the treble with straps on their arms and they got, you know, doing things to try to simulate gravity. Your body is very, very smart. And what it does is, that, oh, there's no weight, there's no gravity. I don't need all this calcium in my bones. And you literally pee out a, a, a gram of calcium a day out of your, through your urine because you don't need the bones to be that strong. So if we don't do something when we're in space at zero gravity with weight-bearing activities, our bones start to waste away very quickly because our body wants to be lighter, right, and be more efficient. And the same thing is true with your joints. The joints need certain pressure to get fluid flowing because the nourishment of the cartilage is the fluid in the joint, and that only happens because pressure is applied and removed. Just like if you squeeze the sponge in your sink and let the sponge go, the water goes in and out of the sponge, right? Well, if you imagine like your cartilage is like microscopic sponges and the water flowing in and out carries the nutrients, if you don't squeeze it slightly and let it go slightly, the nutrients aren't going to flow in and out and the cartilage might have a problem. So it's, it's the, you know, regular moderate exercise gives the stimulus to keep your bones healthy and not lose your calcium and also helps pump the nutrients in and out of your cartilage and keeps your cartilage healthy. So, right. what are some? Right. Absolutely. So, so what are uh, short of surgery? Because you know, a lot of people dread surgery, and I think for the wrong reasons. We'll get into that. I think that uh, you know, getting a joint replacement uh, can really be life saving and, and life preserving because you don't want to be mired in misery and immobility. I think that that can take you down uh, even greater than the risk of you know small risks associated with surgery. But short of surgery. Uh, what are some of the measures? Uh, I hear they're working on stem cells. Collagen injections are popular. Can they uh, defray the need for uh, a full joint replacement surgery in the knees or the hips? Yeah, I think I think you're going to peel the onion here on, on a couple of layers. So let, let's just talk about um, the things we know are associated with bad arthritis, right? Deformity, like if someone has a very bowed leg, you know, or very knock kneed. Some people, though, wear out one side of the knee faster than the other. And if, the, if those deformities at the extreme could be corrected surgically, right? That would be something. Um, and that would be before you need a knee replacement, you might buy some time. Instability, like the kneecap is always dislocating. Well, you want to fix that so it doesn't wear out the kneecap. Um, and then things like cartilage tears and ligament tears and meniscal tears. It's a little paradoxical with those things because if you if you have an athlete that's very high level, and we have this term now, the knee abuser, right? And you fix all their ligaments and they go back and play at a very high level. They may re-injure it multiple times and actually have arthritis more quickly because mm-hmm. there's yep. multiple injuries, right? So we, we save your knee by stabilizing it, but then you use it. You're not, we're not really helping you somehow right. in the long run. You would get you back to your sport, but you may still have It's like a false sense of reassurance, you know, for someone who's eventually going to uh, grind their joint into oblivion. Right. At certain high levels, we know people are sacrificing their joints to play professional football. We know that. And we mm-hmm. can see it on TV when some people go out with injuries every week. It's one but thing if you have a, time, a $30 million casual, dollar contract, but, uh, you know, if you're an ordinary yeah, Joe, people don't have you, don't, that. you don't want to do that. Yeah. Right, exactly. But for the average person, if they have an unstable knee and you fix it and they go back to moderate activities and they're able to, that's better for their health all around, right? Their cardiac health is going to be better. The joint health is going to be better. And that's all good. So, you know, that, so that's no, that's a layer of the onion. And then there's the inflammatory diseases we just talked about, like rheumatoid arthritis. Well, those people are getting destruction on a chemical basis, right? Their body's attacking themselves. 
and his medical treatment for that. So before we get to knee, knee replacement, we, we got to peel back the onion and say, is this a mechanical problem? Is it an alignment problem? Is this an old injury that keeps coming back? Or is this a chemical issue or immune problem? And deal with those things up front to avoid the knee replacement later. And then if things don't work out, yeah, get the knee replaced. It's better for your quality of life. I think it's one of the most successful quality of life operations there is. It's a joint replacement. You know, and I have so many patients uh, who I encounter who, you know, because I see patients who are, they listen to intelligent medicine, they're holistic, uh, they want to avoid drugs and surgery. But I got to say that, you know, when you're hobbled and your mobility is threatened, your quality of life is threatened, uh, it's so beneficial to even take what is the seemingly radical step uh, of having, a, frankly, a prosthetic uh, metal and plastic piece implanted uh, with the technology that's available today that give you a whole new lease on life. Yeah, and, and the other part of that is like take shoulders, for example. Let's say I tear my rotator cuff and I ignore it. The naturalist of that is the cuff tear gets bigger over time. The naturalist of that is your shoulder becomes arthritic. But if I have a small to moderate-sized rotator cuff tear, which is relatively easy to fix these days arthroscopically, as an outpatient surgery with minimal incisions, those people heal by and large, they avoid the failure of their shoulder, and they avoid the rotator cuff arthritis, associated arthritis later in life, and they don't need their shoulder replaced. Um, so again, you know, go back to peeling the onion back to the beginning. You, you really want to try to treat some of these things up front early so you don't have to deal with the bad consequences of ignoring them. And if the things do fall apart, you, you want to maintain your quality of life. So it's a quality, some of the joint replacements, it's really a quality of life decision at the end of the day. Shoulders are a little problematic. Uh, you know, I, I think results generally uh, are more salutary when it comes to knees. They're bigger joints. Uh, they're more symmetrical. Uh, and shoulders involve these little tiny muscles, small structures that can be more challenging. So what's the success rate on sh uh, different types of shoulder surgery these days? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, it, again, it used to be probably less the case, but it's probably more the case now that we are so much more accurate with repairing shoulders and rotator cuffs with, you know, arthroscopic repairs than we ever were. We have better implants and anchors and suture material and techniques to put those sutures and anchors in than we ever had before. And the rehab is more focused on doing it properly so you don't get ahead of yourself, which means you do go slower than people would like in the very beginning, but then you get better overall. Um, and we can repair bigger tears than we ever could repair with good success. So there are different ways to kind of cheat mother nature, if you will. And um, in fact, I was reading a paper yesterday that kind of confirmed that there are certain ways that you can repair really big tears that kind of don't look conventional, but actually end up working very, very well. And so we can salvage some shoulders that we never thought we could salvage before. So for those reasons, there is good good hope out there for shoulder stuff. Um, and again, with the modern techniques, the, the outcomes are quite good and people improve. On the flip side, shoulder replacements are much better than they ever were. And we have this other um, toolbox we call the reverse shoulder, which is the ball and socket are switched. And that gives you the ability to repair a shoulder when there's no more cuff. So between the reverse shoulder, conventional shoulder, and rotator cuff repair, we're saving a lot more shoulders than we used to. And I have patients 20 years out from arthroscopic shoulder repairs that are doing phenomenal. You know, not everyone heals perfectly, but they, they have really good function. And I have people in their 70s and even a few people in the 80s. I had one patient this morning 
who had no shoulder function, had almost an irreparable shoulder, and he's 81, and he came back today for his six-week follow-up, and he's happy as a clam because his pain is all gone. He's already got some function back. So, um, And that was a salvage procedure, and he didn't want a replacement. He so we're, look, we're, we're, we're sort of upping the age yeah. where we consider these things because actually my impression is that some of these techniques were pioneered on young athletes uh, and then it expanded to the active general populace, you know, as more and more people became sports oriented, but also people, you know, older, you know, people uh, lived longer, more and more people uh, garnered the benefits of some things that were pioneered in, in younger uh, athletes. Uh, and now it, it's not uncommon for octogenarians, even non-octogenarians, uh, to undergo that if they have a reasonable life expectancy, if they're not suffering from some terminal disease, which makes it more likely that, you know, they won't enjoy the benefits for a long time. Yeah, absolutely true. And, and, uh, also that part of that is, is anesthesia has changed dramatically, right? The, the idea that you have someone who's 80, you can give them a general anesthetic that is really minimally sedating and doesn't have a lot of side effects. And some of the substances are out of your system in three to five minutes, you know, after you wake up. That has really changed the effects of anesthesia on an older person. You know, in the old days, some of the agents, you probably remember this, give some an anesthetic and they would be wacky for a week afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, a very hard recovery. And for some people, we worry about loss of good cognition if they had a very long surgery with some of these agents their mental status wasn't right for a long time afterwards yeah. and if you take someone in their 80s and you take away some of their mental capacity it could be devastating yeah. so I think that the newer agents the safety profiles are better you know anesthesia can monitor you much better we can put people to sleep now that doesn't mean you know and they can wake up and as my wife always says Did you have a good day today did everyone wake up you know, that's her measure of a good day is everyone went to sleep and everyone woke up. She remembers the day when that didn't happen, you know, 30 years ago when people went to sleep and they didn't wake up. So um, having said that, that doesn't mean you should have surgery in your 80s just because we can give you an anesthetic. You really have to have a good reason and you have to be judicious about how you decide that. And everything has to be lined up properly, you know, like. The moon and stars have to all be in the right place, if you right. will, for lack of a better way of saying that. Right. Uh, and if that happens, then it's a good idea. And if it doesn't happen, it's a bad idea. So then you have to be sensible about it. So short of uh, surgery, uh, you know, what are some of the things coming down the pike in terms of orthopedics? Because uh, there's a lot of promise around stem cells. I, you know, I've read that it's, yep. they're not quite ready for prime time uh, because they don't always uh, help. But uh, with improved techniques, will it be possible to regenerate cartilage? Oh, absolutely. We're already doing some of that, and, and I'll give you the great example. So the thing you said about stem cells, the thing about stem cells is they can become any cell. That's the whole idea. You take a stem cell out, and a stem cell means it could become any cell you want. The question is, will it become the cell you want it to be? So if you take stem cells out and they turn into fibrocartilage instead of real cartilage, uh, or they turn to scar tissue instead of real cartilage, or they turn into muscle tissue and instead of the cartilage you want. You know, that, that doesn't really happen in real life, but, but that's not helpful, right, in the end of the day. So the ideal, the, the holy grail really is to take cells and make them the cells you want them to be, and then put those cells where you need them. So what we can do today, which is I've done this quite a few times now, and it's a fantastic technique, it's called Macy, which is you take your own cells, I do an arthroscopic surgery, I harvest the cells, and then we send it to a lab. The lab gets 5,000 cells, they put into culture, they take six or eight weeks, and they make 10 million cells. 
So we get cartilage cells from you, and we make 10 million cartilage cells from 5,000. Then we take a piece of collagen matrix, and we impregnate that with your cells. They're yours, not mine. They're not anyone else's. They're yours. We go back to a second operation, and we implant your own cells in the place where we need them. Mm-hmm. And we let Mother Nature grow them up to make new cartilage mm-hmm. inside your body. And it's Excuse me, but it sounds like some of, these, some of these places that are offering stem cells are doing the shortcut where they might extract, uh, you know, adipose uh, stem cells or, uh, uh, you know, from the uh, breastbone, uh, spin it down and then shoot it back into you. So that doesn't, if that's not as uh, specialized, that's not as targeted because, as you say, it's, it's, it's not just a question of, of these pluripotential cells, these cells that have the potential to grow into anything. It's conditioning and preparing them so that they grow the way you want them to right and that's more of the high tech uh that is the magic that's the magic trick we're all looking for right we want to have the right cells in the right place so that you're right it's it's a little bit of a shortcut you know and, and i think and this is just a personal opinion it's not you know huge science either way i actually think prp is is the poor man stem cell answer right so mm-hmm. platelet rich plasma platelet, yeah right? mm-hmm. you just draw some right. blood you spin it down Spin it down, and this you could do in the office very simply, and it's much, much cheaper than the stem cell solution. And you're saying, okay, listen, person comes in and says, listen, what can you do for me that isn't surgery, and I know it's not covered, and I want to do something else. You know, am I going to take some marrow and spin it down and do this whole thing, or am I going to just take a little bit of blood, spin it down, activate the platelets, mm-hmm. have it, them release their growth factors? Yeah. And I know that those growth factors draw stem cells to an area mm-hmm. in the normal healing process. Yeah. So, you know, it's cheaper, it's efficient, it probably is just as effective in some ways because you get the stem cells to come into the knee or wherever you're injecting it. We know that it works for elbow, tennis, tennis elbow. We know it works in some areas in shoulder things um, better than some of the other treatment choices. And there's some comparison between like lubricant and that for the knee. And there's some data that says that it's better, some data it's just worse, but there's some promise there as well. And that's, you know, much easier to do and much less costly and much less risky. And if someone says, like, I really want to try that, mm-hmm. I'm a little more willing to do that because there's less downside to it yeah, in a way. There's, there's, a, um, there's a small upside. It might, might work, but the downside is minimal and the cost is relatively inexpensive, although it's not usually covered by insurance. Oh, it, could, it sounds like it's just like chicken soup for the, for the joints. You know, it's like a nourishing right. broth for the joints that can create a, a more healthy uh, environment in the joint space. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, so those things are talked about. And some people like to use those things post-surgically. Um, interesting aside, and, and, and uh, you know, is, is if you think about ACL reconstruction, right, if you put a new ligament in your knee, you actually drill tunnels into the knee with a drill, right, and you put the ligament into the tunnels. Well, the tunnels go through the marrow of the bone through the middle, and marrow cells leak into the bone. So people say, well, do you need PRP or stem cells after you do an ACL reconstruction for the meniscus repair? And my answer to them is no, you don't, because I just drilled a big hole in your bone. It's about a centimeter in diameter. So it's delivering that stuff. From your marrow. It's, it's delivering the it. The marrow yeah. is going to leak stem cells right right yeah. into your joint immediately the same day. You're, yeah. you're going to bathe. Your own stem cells are going to come right in. And in fact, the data shows really nicely that if you do a meniscal repair without an ACL reconstruction and the, and the knee's unstable, the healing rate of that is less than if you do the ACL and the meniscus at the same time. And I think part of that answer is I'm giving you stem cells as well. 
directly from your own marrow. So I think that that goes hand in hand with that better result as well as stabilizing me, of course. Well, that's fascinating. I, so you're a Connecticut. I want to circle back to one thing we haven't talked about. Yeah, I'm in Connecticut. Can I want to circle back to one thing we haven't touched on? Sure, go ahead. If you don't mind. Yep. Um, I have a thing in my book called Sports Tumors. And the reason I want to just touch on it for a millisecond here is because I've had a number of kids and adults come in with seemingly sports injury that have been nagging, going not going away, and with swelling. And one of the stories that's in the book is a young wrestler couldn't get into the wrestling position and they sent him to therapy for a very long time and mashed on his knee and it just wasn't getting anywhere he finally came to see me i took a simple x-ray because his exam was he was physically blocked but there was no evidence of ligament tear or meniscal tear and his knee was not swollen and it turns out he had a bone tumor in the back of his knee that was blocking flexion the two bones were hitting each other and I had to go in surgically. Is that a, a benign tumor or a sarcoma? Sarcoma was a benign be tumor. Like, okay. No, no, sarcoma would be a different problem. Yeah, but that happens too. I mean, young young male adults are osteosarcoma in the distal leg near the knee is the most common area. So you, know, you do want to think about those things once in a while. You want to make sure you're not missing that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say sometimes history, physical, and a plain X-ray is very important because once in a while you'll see a tumor that no one has seen, or you'll see a benign growth that no one's seen. In this case, it was a benign growth, and I removed it and restored his restored his function 100%. On the surgery, it's also a little tricky because there's nerves and blood vessels there. You know, it's not everyone everyday surgery you get to do. You have to be a little more careful about how you do it. But just the same, it was curative, and they would have never cured him with physical therapy or injections or stem cells, right? Um, and then I had another patient who had what seemed to be a simple cyst on her shoulder, and it turned out to be a sarcoma. Mm. And that That's patient dangerous. just sent me an email in an email last week that she is five weeks post disease free and she is grateful to be alive. You know, so again, that judicious moment where you think twice about something and make sure it isn't something bad before you jump into the simple treatment, you know, that's important too. And I think people overlook that a little bit. Indeed. Well, so uh, finally, uh, you're a Connecticut guy. You live in uh, New Haven, and that's sort of like the dividing line between uh, Boston uh, uh, New England Patriots fans and uh, Giants and Jets yeah. fans, right? So I don't know which which side you lie on, but uh, so the 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 big elephant in the room, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, who suffered an Achilles tendon rupture, will Aaron Rodgers return for the season? What's what's your take on? It? I mean, he's probably yeah, throwing this is a every conceivable. He's probably doing yeah. everything that we've talked about, plus, you know, hyperbaric oxygen, uh, you name it. And he's standing on the yeah, sidelines, sure uh, unaided with crutches. So what's the potential for what he's, uh, you know, 39 or 40 uh, for him to recover from that and, uh, you know, play in the postseason? Well, it doesn't look like there's going to be a postseason anyway. <laughs> right. Well, I think the smart thing is if they're not going to make the playoffs anyway, no one's going to push him to play because it's it's not that wise, right? You're in a con- high-level context sport. But let me, this is a great thing to talk about briefly because yep. let's talk about the injury itself. If you look, and, and I can't confirm this, but I watched the video a million times. And yeah. I'm pretty convinced this is part of what happened. Could you tell right away? Could you tell right away just the way he moved? And, the, and It was just, a little tricky. I actually, yeah. thought, I actually thought when he did it that there was something else that happened besides his Achilles because he hyperflexed his foot so far. I thought he might have had a midfoot fracture. Okay. Because he went, he went so far back. But the reason it happened, I think, and again, this is all theoretical just from watching the tapes. I don't know the answer, but I'm going to say it out loud <laughs> is, is that 
if you wear cleats and you're on an AstroTurf surface and the cleat digs into the rubbery material mm-hmm. and does not give like grass, yeah. the forces you generate are going to be much higher. Mm. And if you watch the video, his foot goes way past neutral and goes to a place that I just can't imagine most people's feet can actually get to without breaking something. And the shoe did not move in uh, the grass, uh, you know, in, in the, on the turf. Yeah. So my feeling is, and I know people will argue with me about that because they say stats show there's no different injury rate. My feeling is if he was on a surface that actually gave like grass, the grass and the ground would have torn before his Achilles tendon because he's a pretty strong guy and he's in great shape mm-hmm. or the foot would have slipped out. The other piece of this, and, and, I, and I, I love to tell young athletes this too, to make sure they understand this very carefully, people have equipment and they play on grass. And they have these sharp cleats. And then they go to a turf field and try to use the same cleat. It's not the same surface. And there's more injuries. Mm. And we see that a lot. Because if the cleat doesn't match the surface and you get the cleat stuck, the amount of force you can generate across your knee, ankle, or hip even is huge. And we get injuries because the foot doesn't give. You know, And, and like Aaron Rodgers, he's going to throw the ball 60, 70 yards. He's got to have a good foot on that ground, and he's got to be able to develop a lot of force. So having a cleat for him is important, but you must understand the surface you're on, and it has to be a good cleat surface match because you still need a little give to prevent injury. And I think so that's a good thing for the first part of the discussion. Second part is, yeah, he had everything done. They augmented his repair with a bunch of synthetic material too, and you know I'm sure they've given him – PRP and stem cells and everything else. But the reality is the body is the body. And we can, I always say, sometimes you're baking a souffle. Sometimes you're just baking bread and sometimes you're baking a special cake. You know, if you're baking a souffle and you rush it in any way, it's not going to work out. If you're baking bread, okay, it's not going to taste great, but it might be okay. Right. Uh, and healing is like that, you know. So if you take someone who's 39 and a high level athlete, Yes, they, they will do all the rehab to the nth degree, but I think they're more like a souffle than the person who's 18 that might have the same injury because their healing potential has diminished as you get older, right? So you have to be more careful in some ways than, than others. Um, and there are other tricks that you could do, right? You could get him a very specialized carbon fiber Achilles assist device to put into his shoe and up the back of his calf, calf that spring action just like the Achilles Hmm. to unload the Achilles to get him back to play. You can have a special orthotic made mm-hmm. that has a spring-loaded heel uh, that assists his Achilles while he's playing so it won't see the high loads. And then maybe he plays with no cleats, right? And I could see maybe that's the route for getting him back early if it made sense for him them for the playoffs. Hmm. But it's still risky because mm-hmm. if he tears it again, I don't know if you can fix it. Well, thanks very much for, for handicapping that for us. Uh, you know, you could also yeah. weigh in on Daniel Jones' uh, ACL injury. It seems like uh, kind of a perverse uh, coincidence that uh, both our uh, starting quarterbacks and the New York teams uh, have been taken out with orthopedic yeah. injuries. But, you know, he yeah, is the ACL is pretty well known. You lose, you lose a season for the ACL, pretty well known. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I used to see the, the, quote, rapid rehab where you're done in four months. The re-injury rate after four months going back to full sports is very high. Yes, um, especially if you're an NFL quarterback year. because it's not like uh, yeah, there's yeah. no load-bearing. All right. Great great stuff. So uh, I'll remind our listeners that uh, they can find you in Connecticut. Uh, you do practice. Uh, you do see patients. Can you give us a heads up on that? Yes. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm in New ha- I'm in New Haven area, so I'm in the towns all around Milford and Hamden, uh, Brantford and and Wallingford. Are a lot of my offices. We have a very big group. It's called Connecticut Orthopedics. Uh, we have about sixty doctors, and I'm the chief medical officer. So we we have a big big group. And um, I have my own website. It's uh, drresnick.com. So it's uh, D-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K.com. Um, and on there, there's uh, stuff about the books, and there's a contact thing if you want to try to do that. Or on the ct-ortho.com, which is, you know, ct-o-r-t-h-o.com. Uh, and there's a, there's a thing for contacting us or calling the office or making an appointment as well. And, of course, the Knee and Shoulder Handbook, The Keys to a Pain-Free Active Life. Uh, It's a great uh, handbook uh, that includes, you know, we're not just talking about uh, surgery and high-tech interventions. We're also talking about the fundamentals, uh, exercise uh, for uh, simple problems that will help resolve your aches and pains. So, great stuff. Uh, Appreciate very much your time because you're a busy guy. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Dr. Alan Resnick. Thank you for having me. This is a great day. Thank you. My great pleasure. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I want to thank you for listening to the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast app, and get new episodes automatically downloaded every weekday. And please give us a rating and review. It truly helps new people discover Intelligent Medicine. The Intelligent Medicine Podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their health care professionals for any such conditions. Finally, please visit drhoffman.com and discover everything Intelligent Medicine has to offer, including frequently updated, unbiased health news and fully vetted product and supplement recommendations. This holiday season, don't miss out on your chance to stock up on your favorite supplements during the Black Friday Cyber Monday sale at my online Fullscript Supplement Dispensary. November 24th through 28th, five days only, get 10% off and free shipping on my entire inventory of top supplements at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere, the very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. It's the safest and most convenient way to purchase my curated supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast free shipping and optional refill reminders via text or email. It's safe, secure, and includes world-class customer service. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com for 10% off and free shipping for five days only from November 24th through 28th. Reinvest in your wellness goals with savings on my favorite supplements. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. drhoffmanstore.com.